gathering for these Sunday platforms to affirm our values and commit to a better world. So I wanna welcome those of you who are here in the hall, those who are watching now on Zoom and those who are catching the recording later. If you are on Zoom, please check the chat for a welcome and various tips from Peter Bishop, today's Zoom chat usher. If you're in the hall and would like an assistive listening device, please see the sound team in the back. A special welcome to our visitors today. We'd love to get to know you and answer any questions you have. To get on our email list, you can fill out the connection form at tiny.cc slash westconnects or send an email to membership at ethicalsociety.org. And if you're here in person, we invite you to stop by the welcome table after platform or just chat up anyone with one of these white name badges. I will now check Zoom to see who's attending remotely this morning. Uh, doo -doo 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 -doo. Cynthia Goodman says, good morning and happy Father's Day, indeed. Uh, Trish Weil, good morning. Jeff Mehal is out in the wilds of northern Frederick County, alternating yard work with visits to historical sites. Good for you, Jeff. Um, good mornings from Laura DeShulo and Shirley Storms and Robin. Um, and Laura specifies both uh, Happy Father's Day and Juneteenth weekend, indeed. Goalless. Shirley Storm says, Good morning, Wes. Happy Father's Day, Goalless the Fathers. I'm going to guess that's some kind of phone typo, but Shirley, if you want to explain what that meant, please go ahead. All right. Um, it's good to connect and share this time together. Opening words today are from Bill Watterson's beloved cartoon, Calvin and Hobbes. There's never enough time to do all the nothing you want. Today's opening song is a medley of four spirituals performed by Leah Morris. Good morning, Wes. As always, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. I hope that you will sing these spirituals with me in celebration of Juneteenth. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Away from home, alone, alone, alone. 
Each week, we read our Statement of Purpose as a reminder of our shared values. If you're interested in taking a turn to read the Statement of Purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc slash readSOP. You can read it here in person or make a recording that will be included in a future platform. Today's reader is Sarah Morgan. Sarah and I go back a long way. We were just trying to remember which of us was on the board when the other one joined the board. and. We couldn't really remember that's how long it's been. Or how bad our memories are. <laughs> okay. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms, it affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you, Sarah. As Sarah lights our community candle, I invite everyone to join in our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Let us now enter into the centering time of our platform. Each week, we bring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. 
Today being designated as Father's Day and tomorrow being the Juneteenth holiday, I am particularly mindful of all men who participate in the sacred work of parenting and all African-Americans and allies who continue the struggle to remedy the nation's legacy of slavery so that we can one day truly be a land of liberty and justice for all. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us open our hearts to compassion for those who suffer. And let us commit ourselves to the work that calls for our love. I invite you now into a time of meditation. Take a moment to get as comfortable as you can in your seat or wherever you are. Stretch if you need to relieve some tension, hopefully without bonking anyone sitting next to you. You might start by taking a deep, nourishing breath. You may also want to close your eyes or soften your gaze. As you continue to breathe, I invite you to revisit a past experience of feeling truly relaxed and refreshed. Or if no past experience is coming to mind, then imagine such an experience taking place in the future. What might allow it to happen? We'll continue in silence and in the meditate and in the music that follows.
This song is by Meredith Brooke. And as always, if it's familiar or once it becomes familiar to you, I invite you to sing along. Lay yourself down in the rocks now. Let your body down in the rivers. Listen for the drumming on the other side. Lose yourself in the meantime. Lay yourself down in the rocks now. Let your body down in the rivers. Listen for the drumming on the other side. Lose yourself in the meantime. Lay yourself down on the rocks now. Let your body down in the rivers. Listen for the drumming on the other side. Lose yourself in the meantime. Listen. Let the river be your guide. Let the water decide. And lose yourself in the meantime. Listen. Let the river be your guide. Today's reading is excerpted from a blog post titled The Sweetness and Importance of Doing Nothing and Its Impact on Your Creativity and Well-Being by Omar Itani. Over the past week, I found myself contemplating this question. Why do we feel this need to always be doing something? Why have we become so obsessed with the idea that we must 
be constantly doing something productive and worthwhile with our time. Perhaps it's because we've latched on to the flawed per uh, perception of success, that successful people are always busy. And so now we've adopted busyness as an extension of our own identity. Perhaps that's why we feel guilty and anxious when we're not working. Perhaps that's why we continue to blindly adhere and bow down to our shoulds and musts, but fail to make time for ourselves to simply pause, reflect, and cast a gaze inward to ask ourselves these two imperative questions. How am I feeling today? How will I rest today? We've become so obsessed with doing that we've forgotten what it means to simply be. In fact, because of this hindering always-on mindset and our need to labor over extensive to-do lists, instances of overworking, anxiety disorders, and stress-related diseases are on the rise. This makes me wonder, maybe we need to be reminded that we're human beings and not human doings. There's a line in Pixar's Soul that really resonates here. Lost souls are not that different from those in the zone. The zone is enjoyable, but when that joy becomes an obsession, one becomes disconnected from life. The zone is that space between the physical and spiritual world where we experience what psychologist Mihai Csikszentmihalyi coined as flow state. It's a mental state in which we become so fully immersed and absorbed in what we're doing that we totally lose ourselves in it. But while flow is an experience we all seek, and one that is imperative for our creative success, Csikszentmihalyi himself warns us of its harmful addictive implications. Enjoyable activities that produce flow have a potentially negative effect. While they are capable of improving the quality of existence by creating order in the mind, they can become addictive, at which point the self becomes a captive of a certain kind of order and is then unwilling to cope with the ambiguities of life. In other words, we must do our best not to allow the joy that we experience through doing to disconnect us from life, our innate nature of being. Our platform address today will be delivered by Wes's senior leader, Casey Slack. Thank you, Perry. I don't know if you know this about me, but I really struggle to not check my email on my day off every week. Really, really struggle. Like Caitlin takes my phone out of my hand. I struggle. I learned some things this week about the origins of my own tendency towards overfunctioning in this way. I made a kind of weird mistake. I thought 
you know what'll be relaxing in this week before I go to the UUA General Assembly and both do my West work and do the work of the national body of the Unitarian Universalist Association. I'll do my work from a condo in Myrtle Beach with my parents. <laughs> you know, it was a good idea. My mother and father, one of my older cousins and his son, all went to Myrtle Beach, mostly so that my mom and my cousin could look for a rental property that they might want to own. I knew that they had a task. I don't know why I thought this was going to be a relaxing context to be in. I've met my family. <laughs> but I learned some specific things about stuff I have in common with my relatives. Now, my father, he's 83. He retired when I was in high school. He has no interest in doing anything. He is done. My mother, however, she should have retired a couple of years ago, but when she said, hey, I'm done working, her job said, no, but we need you. And so she continues to work two weeks a month at about the same rate as she used to get paid, which is not a bad deal. But she came on vacation with her work laptop and not her personal laptop because they said, well, we might need something from you. I was the only one who was supposed to be working on this vacation. It was just me. My cousin, meanwhile, couldn't stop checking his work email, even though every time his boss's name appeared in his email address, he became visibly agitated. I said, aren't y'all supposed to be on vacation? And they said, yeah, but this is what I do. And as we talked, I realized that doing for them is so much the identity of how they exist in the world. Doing is how they avoid thinking about what's hard, how they avoid having to deal with themselves as whole people. If you watch this, Mom and Eddie, I love you. <laughs> I've just learned some things <laughs> that I don't want to. I can't keep myself from checking my email on my day off. When I went on vacation to Vancouver in April, I had to uninstall my West email from my phone. Because at least if I had to sign in through the browser, it was enough steps that partway through, I would say, Casey, you're on vacation, stop this. It is so easy to get into that addiction of getting things done, of accomplishing a task, of sending the email. Friends, anytime that I respond to your email, not immediately, it's because I have forced myself to sit on it, that I have said no. We are not answering this email five minutes after it got here. That's the wrong amount of time. <laughs> Years ago, a therapist I had told me that I have two modes. I am either doing everything or I am asleep. Those are the only ways I know how to work and I am trying really hard to find a greater level of balance. In the hospital, one of the go-to sayings is you either take a break or a break will take you. 
And I have seen this over and over again, not just in the hospital where, friends, your gallbladder, your appendix, some little piece of your internal workings that you don't think about a lot will throw a fit if you stress yourself out too much for too long. And it will put you in the hospital and you will have no choice but to lay there and deal with that you can't get anything done. I have seen that over and over again, but I've also seen it in my life. The number of times the end of a semester of school came with getting desperately ill. The number of times the end of a congregational year, year comes with, oh, now I have strep throat. I'm an adult. What do I have strep throat for? Take a break, or a break will take you. And that break won't always be so nice as a gallbladder infection. <laughs> yeah, a gallbladder infection is nice as things that could happen if you don't attend to your stress go. I've been thinking a lot lately about a moment in the second act of Hamilton. How many of us are familiar with Hamilton, the musical? Okay. So in the second act, Hamilton is no longer fighting a revolution, no longer fighting for a place, but he has a place in the government. And he's working on this plan to establish the National Bank, and it's about to be summer. His wife and his wife's sister, who he's also in love with, <laughs> desperately, desperately want him to go to upstate New York with them for the summer. Their father has a house. We're all going to hang out. Take a break. The song is literally called Take a Break. Eliza, the sister he is married to, upon the arrival of her sister, says, Angelica, tell this man, John Adams spends the summer with his family. To which Hamilton immediately responds, Angelica, tell my wife, John Adams doesn't have a real job anyway. He doesn't go on vacation. He stays in the city by himself, where he is then seduced and exploited by Mariah Reynolds. The beginning of that song starts with him saying, you've never seen a bastard orphan more in need of a break. He's not thinking clearly. He's not thinking clearly, and he makes a mistake that ends up ending his career. There are breaks worse than a gallbladder infection. There are things that can happen because you did not take a second to stop, to be instead of doing, that are much worse than what can happen to, you know, organs that you may or may not need. You may or may not need a gallbladder. It's okay. Lots of people are fine with that. <laughs> you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. And you can get your community in a lot of trouble, running always from a place of getting things done. And I think we here struggle with that on a couple of levels. The first is that this city runs on getting things done. This is more than anywhere else I've lived, a city of productivity, of my job is how you know that I am someone who matters. And the way that you know that I matter 
is that I get stuff done. I don't even really interact with that part of the machine of this city that much, and it pushes on me in a way that was not present in Los Angeles or certainly not in Berkeley, where people take things a little more slowly, where the simple situation of it takes an hour to get across Los Angeles if you're lucky means that nobody expects anything to happen on time. Some of that is just East Coast, West Coast. Some of that is the specific industries of these cities, but it's different. The second layer here, though, is that in our deed, not creed, we wind up in a place where all of our togetherness is about doing. Now, it is good to do. I am not saying that we should give up on doing good things. Please do not hear that. However, we are left with a question, a pretty big and important one. Because what does it mean to be together? What does it mean to be an ethical culturist? What does it mean to be a West member? What is the state of existing that is under all of that doing? It's not a creed. It's not a shared set of God is like this or God is not like this. Right? It's not that stuff. It's not you have to believe X, Y, and Z. So what is it? I don't actually have an answer for this. I'm working on it. As I learn and I read and I discuss, I have been lucky to be in discussion with a number of West members about what does it mean to be this thing? I get little glimpses, right? That the being of ethical culture, the being of Wes, is about relationship more than any other thing. And relationship is, there is a do to relationship, right? There are activities. But relationship itself is sort of an orientation, right? The being is being oriented towards connection. And that's really different. The being says to me, when I get a second to stop myself from answering emails, or doing any of the 27,000 tasks there always are to do between the work of this organization, the work of the American Ethical Union, and the work of the Unitarian Universalist Association, both of which I play significant roles in. That's a fun time. Uh, <laughs> when I get a second to be, when I get a second to rest, when I took a minute several of them, in the evening after everyone else had gone to bed, to sit on the balcony and look at the ocean and just exist. The thing that I noticed was an orientation towards relatedness. That everything actually flows out of the knowledge that we are made of one another. That we are growing by getting to know each other. And that that's an activity, right? That is activities where we learn together, where we play together. Sure, there is do. But there is, there is a being to what we're doing. There is a ground. 
someone in one of the conversations I've been having about ethical culture has been asking about where the filling in the donut is. It's a fair question. I'm starting to think that the filling is an orientation towards relatedness is the desire to be together and learn and grow from choosing to be together. It's not an inactive being, right? It's dynamic, it moves, it changes because relationship changes. My relationship with my mother is really different at 35 than it was at 15, duh. My cousin, who I spent the week with, and I were really close when I was little, but he's 16 years older than me, and I was gone for a decade. And so we don't know each other anymore, but the, the existence of our relationship remains, and our desire to have it remains. And so throughout the week in between me working and him trying desperately not to work, we would have conversations that were very clearly the two of us remembering something about each other and then trying to stitch it together with the person in front of us. I think that is how we do being. And I wonder how often we, together or as individuals, actually get to take that moment to set the rest of it down, to set down our need to do something, our need to achieve something, to finish a task. And since I don't have all of the answers, or uh, I don't know, even most of them, what I'd like to do is ask you to talk to each other a little bit. So if you would be so kind, find somebody who you maybe don't know that well. You can be in a little group, you can be in a pair, whatever works for you. And I want you to talk about what helps you just be. I'm gonna give you eh, five minutes to do that.
always enjoy hearing you all have conversations. I also enjoy ringing the bowl to get you attention. <laughs> Both of those things. I hope that you'll continue those conversations after platform is over and that maybe you got some new ideas about ways that you might let yourself just be. I know that I had never considered the full possibilities of a cruise across the Atlantic Ocean until the conversation that John and I just had. It turns out that if you're in the middle of the ocean, nobody can talk to you. <laughs> I have a pin. I wore it on a vest that I wore here several weeks ago when Jay Hooper was speaking. And it just says, if you speak to me, I swear to God, I will scream. <laughs> it's a big mood. <laughs> I don't know how many of you get that sort of, we call it crispy in my UU ministry land, where towards the end of the program year, you just feel like the most brittle fall leaf. Like if somebody were to nudge you, you would just, nah. no longer a leaf. I get crispy feeling. I get just so tense that any little thing could make me feel like I'm falling apart. And, Luckily, I have a lot of really good coping skills uh, and a really wonderful wife and also really wonderful other partners for when my wife cannot stand me anymore. <laughs> they will not cop to ever being able to not stand me, but it's our secret. In thinking more about the way that we come to this busy, busy, busy thing, I want to ask you to reflect on where you got it from. I've been pretty clear about my familial history of that, but it does go further than my mother, who will I, I will often explain as a double Capricorn, which may or may not mean anything to you. But in astrology, Capricorn is an earth sign, and earth signs are all very focused on getting the thing done, and none more than Capricorn. My mother manages to be a stereotype of a thing that I'm not even sure is real. <laughs> but she is very focused on tasks, on work, on getting things done, but I'm pretty sure that less than the stars did that to her. The experience of growing up the fourth of eight children born within 12 years, whose parents worked one the day shift and one the night shift so that they could have food and a house, who lived in a three-bedroom ranch-style house, all 10 of them. My grandparents in one room, my mom's brothers in another, and her and four sisters in the third room. That she wanted to achieve so that she could have a house in which when I was a child, her, my father and I could each be on a different floor. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. That my father had to retire, got forced to retire by his doctor because his job was gonna give him another heart attack. Makes a lot of sense because his mother, my grandmother, who worked at the King Nut Canning Factory, spent his whole life and 
my whole life until she passed away, telling us that my grandfather, her ex-husband, would never die because in order to die, you have to have worked at some point. <laughs> that you could not possibly die if you didn't wear out your body doing actual labor, a thing she did not believe my grandfather who had a radio show, sold vacuum cleaners door to door, sold health insurance and life insurance and made a record one time. She did not think that any of that was real work. My father actually still has a hard time imagining that what I do is real work because my hands do not produce something. Now, let me be clear, by the end of his life, not the end of his life, the end of his work life, his hands didn't produce anything either. He was the vice president of a very small rubber company. So his hands produced some paperwork that caused other people to produce some small rubber parts. But at least he went to an office every day, and that office was attached to a building where people made things. I don't go to an office every day. I go to an office about 20 hours a week. It's this one, it's over there. My hands produce art and writing, but they don't produce material things for my job. Though my father grew up a Jehovah's Witness and should have in his head a concept of what this kind of role in a community is, he's only ever seen it done coercively and more attached to creed than any other thing. So he wonders, what is it that I could possibly do with my time that is work? What could I possibly do with my time that is work that is worth an office twice the size of the one he had? It's just the size the room is, Dad, I said. But I understand. I understand why they are addicted to work. I understand that their status in our community at home is because they worked really hard and that there is value to working really hard. I try to work really hard when I'm working, but friends, I try to not work at all when I'm not. And I hope that we can think about what stories we've been told throughout our lives about how to be someone who's valuable. And then we can set them down and say, you know what? I'm not actually doing anyone any good running myself into the ground. It doesn't help any of you if I don't sleep because I am stressed out about something. I don't do good caretaking or good speaking if I run and run and run at tasks until I am pounding my head against a wall, many things are not that urgent for real. That's hard, right? Because we all think, I want to get a thing done, and then we want to get it done immediately. A lot of it needs more space. So think about what stories you have, about what it means to do as a person. And then give yourself a break from that. You maybe have been running around with it for as long as my parents have. But you deserve to get to go on vacation and actually be on vacation. One last thing. It is the habit in Unitarian Universalist land where I was initially trained for clergy people to kind of take a big chunk of the summer away from the congregation. I did not realize that this was not 
your habit. And so you will notice that I am gone for a little longer than you might be used to in the coming weeks. I'm gonna shift that for next year. Please know I am adjusting. But for this year, let's take a little bit of a break. Let's see what it's like if in July, I'm not around much. And we're not too worried about what that means. At the same time, I wanna be clear that I know that that history of summer breaks in Unitarian Universalist land comes from a real place of privilege. The reason that UU ministers usually leave for the summer is that when Unitarian Universalism was young in New England, all the rich people left their cities for the summer. Because, I mean, at this point even, who wants to be in New York in the summer? Who wants to be in Boston in the summer? Not me. I don't have the kind of privilege that those people had economically, actually. You can hear in my family's story that though I came from a more comfortable place than my parents grew up in, that was hard one, and that is not the reality of most of the people I grew up with. But I think that they deserve it too. I think it's easy to say taking vacation is a privileged position, and it is. To have a job where you have the vacation time that a person really deserves is a privilege, but it should not be. Everybody deserves time to rest. And so my second, maybe third point here is when we're back to doing things, after we've all taken a little bit of a break. Let's see what we can do about helping people's working conditions be a little better. Let's see what we can do about helping people get to take a vacation because we know in our being that you all deserve a break. That it doesn't matter if you lead a congregation or you sweep the floors. It doesn't matter if you work at all. You deserve some time to rest. And you don't have to wait until your body tells you you can't do anything anymore to get there. I will see you again in this position in the middle of July. I'll be working until the end of this month. I'll be on study leave the first two weeks of July. This is all written down places, but I'm telling you it with my mouth right now. I'll be on vacation the second half of July and then for real back about halfway through August. I'm around, you can email me. I will be uninstalling my email from my phone when I'm on vacation. <laughs> I will be slower to answer emails than I am during the year. But I will be thinking about you, and what we can do together. And I hope that you will take the opportunity to breathe and rest and touch a plant or see the ocean, really get to spend some time with nature, with other humans, with yourself. And when we're back, then we can get back to doing. And I think there's some real good doing in our future. Be relaxed, be calm, be mad when it's time to be mad, but be a human the whole time. I'll see you later.
Thank you, Casey. In a few minutes, we'll have our community sharing time where you can write into the chat or share in person about what resonated with you in this platform. While we listen to today's musical response, you might prepare by reflecting on a personal experience or an activity at West that the platform, or a non-activity at West that the platform brings to mind. This is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates in our personal experience. For our online participants, I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or in the comments if you're watching the recording later. If you're here in person, you can come to the microphone here on the floor and share your, I'm going to emphasize this word, brief comments so that others may also share. I will start by checking to see what the online folks have written in. Uh, some things that were mentioned during our conversation here in the hall. Uh, Cynthia Goodman says, what helps me to just be is laying down for a while and listening to soft music. Uh, Laura DeShulo says, my kitty, who I adopted six days ago, okay, 
keeps me busy with additional tasks on the to-do list, but also gives me moments where I'm just watching her and giving her eye kisses. Or when she stops my productivity by walking on my laptop. I'm hoping that as she gets more comfortable, we'll have moments of just being by snuggling. Robin says, I've sat down and wrote out what is urgency to me and what isn't. When I'm not in a frazzled state, I was able to see clearly when I need to respond ASAP and when it's anxiety and I can just give a response some space and time. Uh, Trish Weil says, the late Zen Buddhist Dr. Suzuki has said that sitting quietly doing nothing is the highest form of spiritual activity. Jeff Mihal, I find that watching the weather and the interplay of the sun, oops, uh, wind, clouds, and precipitation is most relaxing. I don't have to do anything. The show comes to me. Ann Baker says, uh, my husband and I are talking. We agree on short breaks to take a walk during the day, casual bird watching. Uh, Mark Mayer is another one who likes music as a form of uh, relaxation. Classical, folk, popular songs all work. Uh, Peter Bishop, many years ago I decided to start observing the Sabbath, by which I meant attending my humanist form and resting on that day. Helped me deal with problems I was having at the time. Uh, Cynthia Goodman again, I used to be a workaholic. I would be so anxious and stressed out and work without sleeping or taking necessary breaks. I learned this behavior in my family. I kept getting really sick and periodically winding up in the hospital until my doctors finally told me that I had to stop working or go and go on disability, which made me so angry at the time, but now I realize was the best thing for me. Judy Myers, I like the reminder to focus on human being instead of human doing. And I believe we have some people to come to the mic now. Hi, Abby, da Abby Dakin, she, her. Um, so in terms of uh, Wes things that make me think along this theme, by, sh by far the West camping trip is, is the top of the heap for me. Because we basically hang around in nature and just hang out with each other. I mean, we do things, right? We play games and we go on walks, and, but it's all like really an extended time of relating to each other. And that's, you know, it doesn't have to be camping. We have in the past had getaways where people didn't have to sleep in tents. And I, I love the idea of bringing that back into Wes's calendar. Um, I was really interested, Casey, in your um, exploration of when we're not doing the deed, how are we as ethical culture people being? And I think you're, you're totally onto it, on the right track with an orientation towards um, relatedness that definitely resonates for me. And then I also thought about um, curiosity, about how the world works and about each other and about thoughtfulness, like not an assumption to be thoughtful about what actions mean. And then the last thing I'll mention is that um, you're, you're total, I grew up in DC, you're totally right. <laughs> that a lot of, you know, that, that thing where at a party you ask somebody, what do you do? I mean, really, we do it, we all do it, right? But, um, you know, there's a balance there because one of the things I love about DC also is that people actually come here to change the world. I mean, they do it, 
seriously to try to make the world a better place. And I love that about DC. <laughs> I am Sue Jacobson, she, her. Um, I was thinking about how now we, when people work, they go on vacation and they still have to check their work email. Or for me, it's the 200 fund requests and social action emails I get every day. And I think back to when I was growing up and my father worked hard. He went to the office every day, five days a week. He had a few holidays. He took a two-week vacation. But when we went on vacation, there were no computers. There was no email. Mm -hmm. There were no cell phones. When we went on vacation, he was on vacation. Mm -hmm. We went upstate New York. We stayed at a place on a lake. And he didn't have to do anything. He read the paper. He swam. He relaxed because there was no way work could contact you. You know, if there was a life and death emergency, his brother who they were in business together would have called him. But other than that, you weren't constantly harassed by email and yep. uh, text messages and all the stuff we have to deal with now. Yep. So it was a different world. Isn't technology wonderful? Hi, I'm Joe London, she, her. Um, first, I guess I'd like to say my mother was a Capricorn <laughs> and, uh, and it used to, I, I didn't realize it, it, I would be doing something she had asked me to do. And then she would tell me about something else that I needed to do. And it made me so angry. It's like, I'm, I'm doing what you asked me. And so am I wrong? I have to drop it and do something else. And then I realized, no, she was just planning the next thing that had to, had to be done. Um, but also, I, I'd just like to mention, um, I like the book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the seventh habit is called sharpening the saw, meaning you can't be sawing all the time. You dull the blade, it won't work, it'll get much harder. And so you have to refresh yourself physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. And uh, so to me, that's the being part. Thank you to all who shared their thoughts and attention. I'm going to recognize myself for one comment because uh, you reminded me of this, Casey, in talking about what counts as work these days. Um, if you haven't seen today's Doonesbury cartoon, Gary Trudeau absolutely outdid himself in a social acuity with this uh, question of what um, different generations recognize as work. Highly recommended. All right. Um, in a few minutes, we will, um, excuse me, uh, wrong page. Just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at West, we split all undesignated gifts in the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. 
This month, we are pleased to support the Rainbow History Project. Founded in November 2000, the mission of the RHP is to collect, preserve, and promote an active knowledge of the history, arts, and culture of metropolitan Washington, D.C.'s diverse LGBTQ communities. The RHP's activities include collecting oral histories, audio and video recordings, and various documents and artifacts, offering walking tours, hosting panel presentations, recognizing community pioneers, and providing research assistance. The group invites everyone with an interest in LGBTQ history to conduct research using their online and physical collections. Let's all take a moment to to cut that so short. <laughs> um, thank you so much to the many people who helped to create this morning's time together. Staff members and Dara Miles, Robin Kravitz, Tamana Barangi, Maceo Thomas, and Leah Morris, who provided today's music along with Track Tribe. And our platform production team, the tech team members, slide artists, Zoom chat usher, and in-person greeters whose names you'll see on the closing credits slide. At the conclusion of the platform, please join us for social hour, either here or via Zoom. First, though, I want to mention a few things up. Um, 
You know, Casey, you've made my job kind of difficult today. We're talking about being and taking breaks, and here I am about to mention a whole bunch of, well, let's just consider them opportunities to take a break from doing nothing. For example, this afternoon from 1230 to 130, Wes's Community Relations Committee, or CRC, is offering a workshop called All About Complimenting, Saying the Best. I have it on good authority that the workshop will be both fun and surprising, and that there will be snacks. Tomorrow evening, the West Board will meet at 7, and the Mindfulness Group will convene at 7.30. Both of those events will be held on Zoom. Next Sunday morning, our platform service will feature West member Emily Newman speaking on the topic, Changing the World Using Social Media. I'm looking forward to learning from Emily on that subject. A week from tomorrow, that's Monday, June 26th, there will be a special West membership meeting to discuss the future of the American Ethical Union, West's original, and I think it's fair to say, primary national affiliation. The AEU is at a crossroads, and our meeting on the 26th, which will be held on Zoom from 7 to 9, will consider various proposals that could help shape its future. An email with details about the meeting was sent to West members yesterday morning. Finally, I want to spotlight the recent email that listed the teams that urgently need volunteers to help Wes be the vibrant, flourishing community we want it to be. Specifically, we are looking for people to join the stewardship and finance teams, the communication team, the team to reimagine Wes's programs for children and youth, the greeters and welcome team, the tech team, and the music team. No, you don't have to sing in the chorus or play an instrument. It occurs to me that Wes could be pronounced wheeze. And I think that's appropriate because Wes is a collective project and it will be what the wheeze make it. You can find that list of teams with sign-up links on the website at ethicalsociety.org slash connection. That's it for my announcements today. As always, you can find information about opportunities to connect in the, West, in the weekly news and notes email and on the calendar page of Wes's website, which again is ethicalsociety.org. Thank you all for being part of Platform today, whether in person, via Zoom, or watching later. I now invite you to join in singing our song of the month, aptly titled, now let us sing, and introduced by our... Before we sing our closing song, I want to thank you, Wes, for the opportunity to serve. And for the opportunity to grow closer to this community in many ways, despite the geographical distance between us. Thank you, and I wish you the very best on your journey forward. I expect we'll see each other sometime sooner than later. Now, let us sing. Now let us sing to the tower of the sea. 
A few last reminders before we leave. If you're new to our community, please introduce yourself in person and or via the connection form at tiny.cc slash westconnects or an email to membership at ethicalsociety.org. For those who wish to socialize online, to reach virtual coffee hour, point your browser to tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour. And now I invite you to join me in our closing words for the month. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, taking joy and pride in who we are and celebrating community in which we find more beautiful futures. Again, thank you all for joining today's platform. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.